Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. 49er fans, let me hear from you. Chief fans. Oh, wow. Wow. Should be a good game today. Well, in the spirit of Super Bowl Sunday, let's talk a little bit about football, shall we? Football games, they have a halftime, right? And halftime, it's a time of rest and assessment. It's a short break in the middle of the game to kind of regather, take a close look at things. And there's been many a team that was winning at halftime but ended up losing the game. And then there's been many a team that was losing at halftime, but by the time things were over, it had turned around and they've won the game. You see, there are four quarters in a football game, two halves, but it's not until the final whistle has blown that we're able to make a definitive statement about how things have turned out. Now, I don't know what quarter you're in in your life. Out at Sun City, I had a pretty good guess, but I wasn't going to say it, okay? But yeah, I almost got myself in big trouble out there, but I don't know. <laughs> Some of them were in overtime. Woo! <laughs> This is recorded. Thanks a lot. If any of the Sun City people watch this. Now, I don't know what quarter of your life that you're in this morning. Fact, fact of the matter is, neither do you. Because none of us know when that final whistle is going to blow. But I would suggest to you that no matter where you are in life, it's not too late. That if the game is still on, if the clock is still ticking, your past doesn't have to define your future. And perhaps up until this point, life has been a losing proposition for you. A series of sins, mistakes, failures, disappointment, but you're still here. The final whistle has not blown, so the game is still on. You see, brokenness in our lives is really God stripping us of our self-sufficiency. It's God bringing us to the end of ourselves. Brokenness is making John 15 a reality in our lives where Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, the problem is that's easy to say. It's a whole different ballgame to try and live that out, right? To truly believe that without Jesus, we can do nothing. So we are in this series called Extreme Heroes. It's all about these Old Testament characters who were called to and fulfilled their unique mission in life. And the person we're studying today is a well-known biblical character. His name is Samson. And you have to wonder, when you read the four chapters of the life of Samson, recorded in the book of Judges, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, how in the world did this man end up as a hero of the faith? He ended up in the hall of faith recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, time will not permit us to go over the whole story of Samson's life in detail. Just read Judges 13 to 16, and you'll get the complete story of his 20-year reign as a judge in Israel. But he did start out very powerfully in chapter 13. So let's begin in verse 5 here. Talking to Samson's mother, the angel of the Lord says, For indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin 
to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Basically, it's mama, you're going to have a baby boy, and he's going to be dedicated to God. Now, what is this Nazareth right vow that he had to take, right? It was a unique set-apart role that God was calling her son to. And by the way, that's why as parents, you want to dedicate your children to the Lord as early as possible because you want them to be set apart for God, right? Because the devil wants to set them apart for him. So he is going to be set apart from God. And the Nazarite vow said that no razor shall come upon his head. No haircut, okay? Now, here's a recent picture of my youngest son, Nathan. And just to clarify, he did not take a Nazarite vow, all right? <laughs> Some people have asked. <clears throat> Let's make it perfectly clear. But for Samson, this growing hair would be the secret to his uniqueness. I mean, he would have the power of Superman in the feats he would perform. I mean, he would have like the daring of Bruce Willis dealing with people who don't want to do right. And yet at the same time, the debonair of Denzel Washington. I mean, Samson, he was every man's nightmare and every woman's dream. Because he had it all going on. And he would have been a star today because of all he had going for him. But there was something different about this dude, this Nazarite vow. And his mother would have to explain it to him as a child. You're not like every other kid. You belong to God. You shouldn't even be here. I was barren, but God supernaturally enabled me to conceive and give birth to you. And God said, he will carry out my purpose. What was that purpose? Well, according to verse 5, it was to deliver Israel from their enemy, the Philistines. In other words, he had a kingdom contract, a divine assignment. He was called, set apart for a unique purpose. Well, the Nazarite vow doesn't exist anymore, but set-apart people do. You know what the Bible calls it? It calls it being sanctified. Sometimes that word is translated holy, but that word sanctified, it means set-apart. It means that every person, every Christian really should be set-apart, sanctified for God's unique purpose, God's calling in your life. And that was the Nazarite vow in his particular role as a judge. And throughout his career, you see this phrase that pops up over and over again, like in Judges 13, 25, says, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Or chapter 15, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him, and the ropes that were on his arms and wrists became like burnt flax and fell off. In other words, his set-apartness gave him access to supernatural power, spiritual power. He had power against his enemies because the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, every believer today in the church era, we live in the age of the Spirit, so we have access to the power of God's Spirit in our lives. And we can experience that power how, when we're living sanctified lives. That is living unique, different, set-apart lives. But when you blend in with the rest of the world, you lose that uniqueness, you lose that difference, you lose your power. And today in our generation, I think we're dealing with powerless Christians because they're unsanctified. And they mess with their Nazarite vow, which is being set apart, being unique. Okay, back to Samson. He meets this woman named Delilah. Now that word Delilah, it literally means delicate, soft to the touch. And you got to understand, Samson got around, okay? He was a womanizer, right? He, he really, I mean, he played the field a whole lot. And so the Philistines, they knew this about Samson. 
And so the Philistines, they went to Delilah and said, Samson is hooked on you. And we will give you enough money to retire on if you can figure out the secret to his strength. Because this guy, he's wreaking havoc with us. We got to deal with it. We don't know the secret to his strength. And since we don't know, we do know the power of love. We do know what love's got to do with it. We know that you can work your thing because he's hooked on you. He's crazy about you. Well, what Samson doesn't realize about Delilah is that Delilah was a gold digger. Delilah wanted the money. And the highest bidder would do. And so Delilah, she goes to Samson for the first time and says, Samson, what is the secret of your great strength? Well, Samson, he likes to play games. He likes riddles and stuff. And so he tells her that his strength is in something that it's really not. And here's how it all went down. It says, the Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and then make him helpless. Each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How can someone tie you up and make you helpless? Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become weak and be like any other man. It goes on, it says, the Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. While the men in ambush were waiting in her room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. Okay, so he obviously lied to her. But the game doesn't end there. It keeps happening over and over. Let's read on. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? He told her, well, if they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and be like any other man. Delilah took new ropes, tied him up with them, and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in her room, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. And then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. He told her, if you weave the seven braids on my head into the fabric on a loop. So she fastened the braids with a pin, called him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin with the loom and the web. And so they just keep playing this game, right? Over and over again, up until time number four. In verse 15, she says to him, how can you say I love you? Oh, she's working it now, right? (laughs) You don't love me. You never love me. You just say you love me. It's the third time you've mocked me and and not told me what makes your strength so great. And then verse 16, because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth. What happened here? She got on his last nerve, okay? And this is biblical, folks. (laughs) If you don't believe me, brace yourself here. Proverbs 21.9, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. (laughs) Proverbs 27.15, I'm not done yet. An an endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. (laughs) 
Some of the looks right now, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't write God's word. <laughs> Let me just say this. Delilah was not some ditzy lady. Not at all. You know what she's doing here? She was tapping into a timeless truth, an eternal truth that the Bible also records. This is a universal truth. Nagging will drive you nuts. His soul was annoyed to death until finally he told her the whole truth. All that was in his heart. Here we go. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I'm a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought the silver with them. Then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I'll escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, the power is not in his hair. The power is in the spirit of the Lord coming upon him. That's why I read that repeated phrase earlier, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. But the power was represented by his hair because his hair was the symbol of his vow. And his vow was his dedication to God. So when he lost his hair, he lost his vow, which means he was no longer functioning out of his dedication to God, which means he no longer had access to the power of God. See, we we could put it this way. When you're operating outside of God's calling in your life, when you're operating outside of your calling, you're operating outside of God's power. When you're operating outside of your set-apartness, your uniqueness, your separation as a follower of Jesus, you're operating outside of wherever the Spirit flows. So what happened to Samson next? The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he was forced to grind grain in the prison. So now the Philistines, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. They're having a party. They are partying hardy because in their minds, Our God beat your God. You see, for them, this was not about people fighting people. This was about one God fighting another God. And right now, from their perspective, their God is winning. That's what they thought. And they're saying to the Israelites, your God ain't all that. Because your leader, your judge is blind and slaving away in our prison. So now we are running the show. Verses 23 to 24. Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. They rejoiced and said, our God has handed over our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. Now people, there is a lesson here for us. It's a lesson about walking in the light, walking in our unique set-apartness versus walking in the darkness. Writing to a Christian audience, the Apostle John, he talked about walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. And this is what he said in 1 John 2. 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So you've been called as a believer to walk in the light, to walk in your unique set-apartness, your dedication to God. But you have a choice. You have a choice to walk in the darkness instead. You know, some of us, maybe we were dedicated to the Lord growing up in church. But then we got to college and we started to adopt the ways of the world. And we became as blind as our worldly friends were, as bound as they were, as defeated as they were. Because we left our uniqueness, our Nazarite vow, our sanctification. Happens all the time. Over and over and over again, the New Testament warns Christians about falling about being blinded by the world, about walking in the darkness. The danger is real. Let's continue on in our story here. It says, he was forced to grind grain in the prison, but his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. Now, let me explain that. It's not just talking about the hair on his head here. Something else is going on. You see, the context of this statement is a context about God. They were busy praising their god, Dagon, because Samson was defeated. But Samson was defeated because of his sin. Sin led to the cutting of his hair. However, while they're parting with their god, and Samson is grinding away in prison, unbeknownst to them, or maybe they just weren't paying attention, but very conscious to Samson was the fact that what he lost because of sin was coming back. What he lost because of sin was coming back because of repentance. Hear me on this. You can only regain what you lost because of sin by repentance. So he's getting a repenting hair growth here. And we can prove that in a moment by the prayer that he prays. His hair is growing back, not just because it got cut off, but because he, in his broken state, is getting right with God. See, that's the only way you can explain Samson showing up in Hebrews 11 as a hero of the faith. So in his messed up condition, in his broken life, in his bound situation, serving and slaving away for another God, it dawns on him about his dedication. Son, you're dedicated to God. And when your hair's not cut off, the power of God is in your life, can be present in your life. So he's grinding away in prison, and and what does he want? Give me my hair back. Give me my hair back. Now, some of you today, maybe you're asking God, I don't know, God, give me my life back. Give me my joy back. Give me my peace back. Give me my hope back. Give me this relationship back. I don't know, give me my unity back. Give me something. Take me off these pills. Take me off these drugs. And maybe you're blind, so you can't see any solution. You're bound, so you don't see any freedom. However, there is a tiny word here, a very key little word in this passage. It's the word but. But his hair began to grow back. That may seem like a little but. That is a big but right there, okay? Some versions say however. Maybe that's a better word for me to use. I don't keep saying but. But there is a however. For every Christian, there's a however. 
For every Christian that's been broken by the sinfulness of their situation, there is a however. And your however word to get your hair to grow back, you know what it is? It's the word repentance. Starts with repentance. Put a good definition of repentance on your outline. When you agree with God about where you've gone wrong and you change your mind about what you've done, admitting it's wrong, that's repentance. And when it works properly, it should get you back on the right road. God will turn things around. Verse 25. While they were in high spirits, <laughs> okay, that's like whiskey and Jack Daniels high spirits, all right? <laughs> when they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. So they called Samson to entertain them and now the sinners are laughing at the saint. The saint has become a joke to the sinners. However, his hair is growing back. It ain't over yet. I love verse 27. Check this out. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. The house was packed. I mean, it was full of men and women. All the rulers, all the leaders of the Philistines are there. There were 3,000 men and women on the roof watching Samson entertain them. So you got what? I don't know, six, seven, 8,000 people, depending on how many were crammed inside when you add the roof and all the lower levels. This is a monster gathering right here. Now, up until this point, <clears throat> Samson had used God's power to benefit himself. Whenever the Philistines made him mad, you know, he would just take care of business, take them out. But that was not the calling, was it? The calling is not just to care for you. The calling is to deliver other people. And folks, God's purpose for your life, it's not just about you. It includes you, but not only you. God's kingdom purpose is this, blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. So if you can't describe how you're blessing someone else's life, you need to slow down, maybe ask the question, how have I been blessed? Because God never blesses you just for you. God told Samson, you're getting this blessing to deliver the Israelites. Question, who are you delivering because God has delivered you? Who are you delivering because God delivered you? Samson remembered his calling, and he came to this event prepared. Okay, he had a plan. As he entered the temple, check this out. It says, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. You know what's happening? Samson's remembering his vow. He's remembering his commitment. He's remembering his set-apartness. He has repented of what led him to this place. And now, finally, he calls on God. Look at verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. So Samson says, I am willing to die here if I can serve your purpose. He could be saying what the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's basically saying, let this be my finest hour. And God, when I close my eyes in death, let me close my eyes having won this game. Let me close my eyes not as a loser, but as a winner. Better to go to heaven earlier as a winner than later as a loser. 
Let's read on. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Folks, he had 1,030 victories in his life. In his death, we don't know for sure, he had mega thousands of victories over those who worshiped the idol Dagon, who were against the true God, terrorizing God's people. The score at the end of the game wasn't even close. What am I saying? It's not too late. At his death, he did more than 20 years worth of human effort. He did more in those final remaining moments of his life than he had in his whole life combined. So even if you've lost in life up until this point, you don't have to end the game of life as a loser. God says, if you let your hair grow back, that is, you take back your vow, you come back into your sanctified relationship with me, even if you lived bad, you can end well. Samson saw his sacrifice as the ultimate deliverance of Israel. And then in verse 31, it closes. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. And then he shows up again in Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer says, that was a great man of faith. Why? Because he got right with God. And God used him in a phenomenal way, even in the last two minutes of his life. You talk about the ultimate two-minute drill? <laughs> right here. Samson ended well. So let me leave you with this word this morning. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. Don't you throw in the towel. Don't you run away. Don't you say, it'll never be me. You say, but, but I'm blind. I'm bound. The other God's calling the shots in my life. I'm defeated. I'm a failure. Okay, all that may be true. Okay? You may say, but, but I've messed up. I've been selfish. I've ruined my reputation. All right. All that can be true. It was true for Samson. But he said, God, one more time, just one last time, would you show up and show off for me? And if it cost me my life, let me go out in a blaze of fire for you, God. So don't you quit. Don't you give up. But do come home to your uniqueness, your holiness, your set-apartness, your dedication to God so that he can show you that the latter can be greater than the former because you came back to him. It's not too late. Don't you give up. Heavenly Father, I know that you've spoken to me this week through this story and thinking about Samson's life because I've always kind of scratched my head about this one when I read through Hebrews and I see Samson's name there because for 20 years he was all over the map. He was making a mess of things. And I think so many of us here in this room, we can relate to Samson. 
But he came back. He came back to his vow. He came back to his dedication. He ended well. And God, as I think about football games and how many are decided in the last two minutes that what makes the difference between the winner and the loser is that two-minute drill. So God, it's not too late. With you, it's never too late. And your calling is that you can cleanse, you can forgive, you can wipe away all of our past, and you can take our lives, and no matter where we are, we can finish well. God, help us, whether we're 20, 50, 70, 80, 90 years old, wherever we are, help us to come back to our vow, our set-apartness, our sanctification, our purpose, our calling in life so that we can experience your power and fulfill your purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.